Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's it. I'm so exhausted from a series of unfortunate events happening to me that I'm having psychological treatment. I'm Liam, a 20-year-old guy who always looks at life with a negative eye. Is that why bad luck always follows me? It feels like me versus the world. And then one day, I decided to change. A month ago, my parents told me that they were going to be away for 3 days for work and told me to take good care of the house, especially not to forget to close the windows before going out. I waved my hand. You worry too much. Promise I won't forget. I should learn not to be overconfident. That day because I was late, I ran to school without closing the window, and the consequences were worse than I thought. When I returned, I was shocked because the house had been ransacked. The sofa and curtains were all scratched. Maybe the feral cats jumped in from the window when I forgot to close it. Right at my first step, I felt something strange. Damn, I stepped on cat poop. Ah. I sat in the middle of the messy house and thought about how my parents would punish me for forgetting to close the windows. It sucks. From that day on, strange misfortunes kept coming to me. It started with a movie date with Tina, the girl I was into. That day because I missed the bus, I had to run after it, but ended up bumping into a delivery man. I fell into the box of tomatoes he was carrying and my whole body was smeared with red juice. Everyone around had a laugh. "Ha, you're welcome." And the delivery man got angry and asked me to pay him $100 for the damaged tomatoes. I was late for my date with Tina. She called me and yelled at me and then hung up. "Jeez, what could be worse?" Things didn't stop there. The next morning, I couldn't find my other shoe. Damn, the cats probably took it. I had to wear slippers at a gym class, which made my teacher angry. Mr. Mike scolded me in front of the class. I felt so humiliated, and yet when I was jogging, my sandals broke, causing me to fall flat on my face. My lips were torn and bleeding painfully. Jesus, having cats in the house probably brought me bad luck. 
I decided to go to Athena, my witchy classmate, to ask her to see my future with tarot. I wanted to know what the hell was going on with my life. After hearing my story, Athena did not draw cards for me, but said, Your negative energy is too great. You are always so upset and angry, it'll only bring bad luck. The way to fix it is to smile a lot from now on. Be positive in all circumstances, then the universe will send you luck. I was enlightened, clapping excitedly. Nice! Alright, I'll do it immediately. <laughs> Hearing Athena's words, I resolved to change by trying to be positive and smiling a lot, not whining when I had a bad day. But it's not that easy. The next day, I overslept again and rushed out of the house to go to school. I thought I was doomed. But when I recalled Athena's words, I immediately slowed down, waved and grinned at the dog walking down the street. However, the dog seemed to take it as a provocation. He sprang up to me like a monster, tearing off his leash and chased after me. I ran away, running so fast that I thought I was flying. When I was close to the school gate, fortunately the dog didn't chase me anymore. And to my surprise, wow, I had arrived 10 minutes early. Unbelievable. So it's good luck to be chased by a dog? I caught sight of Tina in the distance and performed my luck summoning ritual again, waving and grinning in the hope that she would stop being angry at me about the previous day. But I was so excited to run to her that I bumped into a lamppost in the middle of the schoolyard. Blood poured from my forehead, and Tina nervously ran over to touch me. It's okay, I'm fine, I I'm so fine, I said, still smiling. Tina seemed very worried. She took me to the infirmary, even forgetting about the anger from my late arrival at our date. I'm so lucky to hit the lamppost. Being taken care of by Tina and getting rid of my anger filled my heart with happiness. I sat in class with a wound on my forehead, yet I couldn't stop feeling happy. During that class, I kept looking back at Tina in the back seat. She kept frowning and looking miserable. To make Tina happy, I grinned like a clown, causing her to laugh as well. I know I looked stupid at the time, but as long as my crush was happy, all is good. The two of us looked at each other giggling in class, and we were immediately kicked out. I was scared and thought, Tina got kicked out because of me, she would probably be pissed off. But surprisingly, Tina seemed overjoyed. Thank you, Liam. I'm having a stomach ache, but Professor Chen is so strict, he doesn't let students out in the middle of his class. I have to go to the toilet. Thank you so much, you're awesome. Then Tina dashed away. I looked at her dazzlingly and felt like I was on cloud nine. Man, getting kicked out of class is great. I've just saved my crush, so cool. On Valentine's Day that year, I decided to confess to Tina. But as soon as I brought the box of chocolates to class, I saw a large crowd gathered in front of the door. They all shouted, kiss, kiss, kiss. What the hell? I stepped in between and it turned out that Cooper, the upper class hot boy whom Tina had admired secretly, had confessed to her. Heartbreakingly, Tina agreed and they kissed right in front of me. Oh no. I'm fine, yes, I'm fine, I have to be positive. So I grinned again, trying not to cry at the heartbreaking scene. I took the box of chocolates to the back of the abandoned WC. I needed to be alone right now. A bunch of delinquents were smoking there. I passed by them and stopped, handing the box of chocolates to the leader. I didn't need it anyway. But he seemed to be crying. I patted him on the shoulder, gave him a big smile and said, it's okay, man. Just love your life. Eat the chocolate I gave you. But then it got worse. 
like the time I smiled at the dog on the street. My smile made him furious and shout, Are you challenging me, you bastard? You know that I was just rejected, so you want to make fun of me? Then he hit me so hard that my nose was bleeding. His friends also joined in and beat me almost to death for pissing off their leader. But I believed that if I just smiled, luck would come, so I smiled again. The pain of being beaten and the pain of losing my heart made me act like a madman. Seeing me happy, they beat me more aggressively. I brought my bruised face home, causing my parents to panic. But what they were more worried about wasn't the injury, but the fact that I kept smiling despite the pain. They thought I was going gaga. So my parents took me to a psychologist. I was asked to stay there for two days for an examination. Here the doctor quickly understood my problem. Now think about it, boy. Was the bad luck you experienced come from your clumsiness or the cats? Who was the one who absentmindedly forgot to close the window? Who was the one who always slept in and turned off the morning alarm so he always arrived late at school and then carelessly bumped everything he met on the road? If you had kept your shoes in the closet instead of throwing them around on the floor, would you miss it and have to wear slippers during gym class? And was it you who tried to finish the game and forgot about your date with Tina? I looked at the psychologist with an apologetic look. She continued, Come on, boy. Now admit your feelings. If you're heartbroken because Tina has a new boyfriend and because you were bullied at school, just cry if you want to. You have the right to be true to yourself. Yes. I was so wrong to keep trying to fool my emotions. That was silly. <laughs> Returning from the psychological treatment, I realized that it would be worse to try to believe in fake smiles instead of trying to face it, bravely experiencing both joy and sadness. Most importantly, I have to stop complaining and start living a more disciplined life, always on time and more optimistic. Then all good things will come automatically. Do you guys agree with me? Show me your arms by leaving a comment below the video. Like and subscribe to the channel to see other interesting stories. What's life like for Ken Takashi? Picture this. Born into the gold-gilded but ice-cold arms of a wealthy family in Tokyo. They're youngest of four and the butt of all their cruel jokes. Ah, oh, little Kenny. My eldest brother Hiro would smirk. Always with his nose in a book. As if that would replace real-life experience. Cut him some slack. Maki, my sister, would chime in, her voice dripping with forced sweetness. He's only preparing for his exciting career as a librarian. Yeah, or an encyclopedia salesman. The third tormentor Kazuki would laugh. My siblings, God's gift to comedy, just not the funny kind. Love? Nah, don't have the time or the patience, I would tell my reflection in the mirror. Truth was, in the grand production of my life, I was both the tragic hero and the laughing stock. That was until the curtains rose on Asami. High school was where I met her. Asami, a girl whose spirit made even my stark life seem colorful. Ken, you're different, but in a good way, she said on our first meeting, her eyes sparkling with sincerity. Different, yeah, I get that a lot, I'd said, a hint of self-deprecating humor tinging my voice. I would often joke, I'm like a limited edition comic book. Rare, misunderstood, and sadly, not everyone's cup of tea. But that's what makes you special, Ken. Asami countered, always the eternal optimist. She brought joy and warmth into my frosty existence, and like a moth to a flame, I was drawn to her. Dare I dream? Dare I think that love may actually be on the cards for this loner? I remember asking my lonesome self. 
But then reality bit, and it bit hard. Enter stage left, Rena, the dutiful daughter of my father's influential business partner and the unwilling co-star in my life's drama. Ken, my father announced one day, you're marrying Rena. It's for the family, son. Duty, the one script I could never rewrite. Asami, I... The words got caught in my throat. How do you explain that your love story just got axed in the season finale for a spin-off nobody asked for? Fast forward a few years, I was knee-deep in a loveless marriage. A job that demanded my soul and a daughter, Miho, who was fast becoming a stranger. Guess it's another dinner for one tonight, I would joke to the empty house. The echo would somehow make it less funny. As I waded through the sea of my mundane life, the thoughts of Asami became my life raft. I wonder what she's doing now. Probably adding color to someone else's life. I'd muse, scrolling through her social media. Asami, living her dream. And me, dreaming my life away. Ah, my siblings. Let's not forget them. Look at Ken, living the high life where we would scrape through. Hero would snap during our rare meetings. The irony, of course, was lost on them. My fortune was my cage, and I was the golden bird, shackled and silenced. In the grand scheme of things, a dysfunctional family was just the tip of the iceberg of problems. Here I was, just a successful businessman, thrust into the world of spite and jealousy. They detested me. The reason? I'd inherited most of our family fortune. And suddenly, family dinners felt more like court hearings. It was another ordinary day. Or so I thought. I was juggling a flurry of emails, dealing with stock market projections when my phone rang. A call from an unknown number. Mr. Takashi. The voice on the other end snarled, setting my heart into overdrive. He claimed he had Rina and Miho. He demanded a hefty ransom, or else. The fear in his words was palpable, even infectious. Oh joy, I thought, though the adrenaline pumping through my veins begged to differ. Panicked, I transferred the ransom faster than a teenager typing out a tweet. A torrent of relief washed over me when I was done. Problem solved, right? I muttered to myself. A couple of days later, my phone rang. It was a call from my contact at the bank, Haruto, a guy whose humor was as dry as the desert. He had called to share an intriguing piece of information, that the account to which I had transferred the ransom money belonged to an aspiring actor. I was struck with a wave of bewilderment. Actors now kidnap people? Is it because all the good roles were taken? <laughs> I tried to laugh it off but the pieces of the puzzle began fitting together in a way I wish they wouldn't. Investigating further, I discovered that this actor, in fact, was recently hired by my daughter, Miho, for a school project. The dots were connecting, painting a picture I would rather not see. But the most crushing blow was yet to come. While wrestling with the newfound revelations, I got a call from an anonymous tipster. The unknown voice claimed to be a member of my family's staff, driven by guilt to spill the truth. It was an orchestration, a vile plot woven by the people I called my family. They staged the kidnapping, employed the actors, and then had planned to play victim. I had been outsmarted, outplayed, betrayed. A feeling of being ice cold and on fire at the same time swept over me. And then came the media storm. I woke up one day to find myself the villain in my own life story. Splashed across newspapers and television screens, the tale of my corruption, abuse, and fraudulent behavior was the hot gossip in town. Waking up to a tabloid symphony of my public humiliation wasn't exactly the highlight of my life. News alerts buzzed on my phone like angry bees. I picked it up, the reality of my situation settling in. Ken Takashi, 
abusive father, business tycoon, or fraud. And Takashi's money laundering scheme exposed. The morning news had never tasted so bitter. Losing my job was a punch to the gut. When they handed me the pink slip, I said, Hey, at least I'll get to try out being unemployed. The HR guy didn't seem to appreciate my humor. Guess I was the only one laughing in the face of public humiliation. Just when I started to accept my starring role in this real-life nightmare, my phone buzzed. Asami, she asked, You okay? I've been better. Lost my job. Public enemy number one. The usual stuff. How's your day going? My attempt at sarcasm was as bitter as the black coffee I was sipping. Asami was a godsend. She brought a calm to my storm, pushing me to fight back. Ken, you can't let them get away with this. You have to stand up for yourself, she'd tell me, her voice the grounding I needed. Then there was Daiki. Stern, poker-faced Daiki. As the detective assigned to my case, he was more impassive than a stone statue. I'm just doing my job, Takashi, he said, pouring over the files piled over his desk. And your job seems to be turning up as suspect number one. But as we sat down over many cups of terrible office coffee, Daiki started to question the narrative being sold. There are inconsistencies in the testimonies, he admitted one day. And the evidence, it's too convenient. My relief must have shown because he quickly added, Don't get too comfortable, Takashi. It doesn't mean you're off the hook. It just means I'm not buying their story. Yet. With Asami on my side and Daiki slowly turning from suspicion, we began to unravel the sordid plot that had landed me here. Every new piece of evidence, every hidden truth was a shocking revelation. One evening, I found myself standing in front of a mirror, looking at the stranger staring back at me. All right, Ken. It's you against the world. Showtime. I'd always enjoyed a good mystery, but being pulled in the middle was not as thrilling. As Daiki and I dug deeper, we discovered a puppeteer pulling the strings behind the scenes. Someone had made me the antagonist of this tragic opera. Who would hate me enough to go to these lengths? The list wasn't exactly short. There was a club of people I'd pissed off in my past, but none seemed to fit the bill. My life was spiraling, but amidst the chaos, I had an epiphany. Perhaps I could reinvent myself. I'd always fancied being an entrepreneur. So what better time than now, when I'd nearly lost everything? And just because I was down, didn't mean I was out. I decided to take my story to the people. I launched a YouTube channel, Life According to Ken. Each video a rebuttal to their baseless accusations, a chance to reveal the evidence I'd found. One day, I said to my camera, Today, let's talk about trust and betrayal, and how they're as close as twins but couldn't be more different. I shared my side of my story, peppered with my signature wit and occasional dad jokes. My subscribers started to grow, and so did the public's interest in my case. I got creative, embedding clues within my videos, breadcrumbs that led viewers closer to the invisible hand behind all of this. The comment section turned into a virtual detective agency, and they were as eager as Daiki to crack the case. In all of this, I felt a strange sense of purpose. Even as I fought my battles, I was making a difference with my online platform. And perhaps, just maybe, getting closer to finding the architect of my downfall. One night, while I was at dinner with Asami, she confessed something. Everyone is saying that I should be staying away from you. My friends, my family, even my fans. I raised an eyebrow, a sardonic smile on my face. Oh, so the court of public opinion has spoken, has it? Ken, I'm serious. They think you're bad news, and there's something else. I can't help but wonder, are you using me as a distraction from all this? She gestured vaguely around her. I looked at her, speechless for a moment. Then, taking a deep breath, I said, Asami, the only way I'm using you is to keep myself sane in this insane situation. You make me feel like 
I can get through this. Meanwhile, I was dealing with a snake in the grass in Daiki's team. Someone was spilling the beans to the puppet master of this whole damn circus. Unveiling the traitor became a thrilling part of my unfolding saga. During a YouTube livestream, I told my viewers, You know, there's something particularly cinematic about discovering a mole in your team. A nice dash of suspense, don't you think? Then, out of the blue, an ex-con entered the scene. Another blast from the past, carrying the weight of a grudge against my siblings. One day, he showed up with a piece of information that could potentially reveal the identity of the mysterious puppet master. Ken, he grumbled. I've got my own axe to grind. Seems like our enemies might be the same. Bingo. I muttered as the pieces fell into place. The puppet master, the architect of my ruin, was none other than Rena's father. The revelation was like a punch right into my gut. I went to his house, ready to confront him. I did it all for my boy, he confessed, a twisted satisfaction in his eyes. He lost everything because of you, Ken. His business, his life. I felt a flare of anger. All that over a business deal? I snapped. Bitterness seeping into my tone. You decided to play God with our lives because your son couldn't take a professional setback? Yes, he hissed, and I'd do it again. Thankfully, Daiki picked the perfect moment for a dramatic entry. Well, you won't get the chance to, he announced with handcuffs in his hand. As my name cleared and my life began its climb out of the trenches, my relationship with my estranged daughter saw a ray of light. I'm sorry, Dad. I didn't want any of this. And yet, it happened. <sighs> I sighed, choosing forgiveness, because what else do you do when you're a father? And then there was Asami, the woman who'd seen me at my worst, my best, and all the ridiculous moments in between. It was during a live stream on my YouTube channel when I decided to pop the question. Okay guys, I began, my heart pounding. I'm doing something I've never done before. Asami, will you marry me? She said yes, and we sealed it with a kiss. Our followers erupted into a virtual applause. The comment section was a blur of congratulatory messages. I kept working on my online learning platform, turning it into a venture that not just turned profits, but changed lives. The YouTube channel became a platform for truth, for stories, for occasional rants, and a lot of bad jokes. I decided to cut off my siblings and my ex-wife. I did not even want to confront them. It was pointless. As for my daughter, I tried to rebuild our relationship as much as I could, and it was blossoming into a strong bond. Was I a happy man? You bet. In the face of adversity, I found my purpose in love. It was a wild ride, and honestly, I wouldn't have had it any other way. So, there I was, at this swanky restaurant, all geared up for my blind date. You gonna have a great time, my friend had assured me. Just relax, Ethan. But as I waited at the table, my heart wasn't in it. I hadn't signed up for this circus of dating, but then again, it was high time I at least tried to have a normal life. Just as I was contemplating escaping through the kitchen, I heard a voice that sent chills down my spine. It was raspy, tinged with the faintest hint of something vaguely familiar. Something that made my stomach twist. Ethan, I looked up and froze. There she was, Amelia. The woman I'd loved. The woman who killed me in another life. Looking as radiant as the day I'd last seen her. A Amelia! What are you doing here? I'm your date. Surprised? That's an understatement. I muttered, trying to keep my tone light. But I could feel my heart pounding in my chest. A blind date with Amelia. So, Ethan, tell me about yourself. Oh, there's not much to tell, really. Just your average guy making a living. And relationships. 
How do you feel about them? Depends on the relationship. For instance, how do you feel about dating someone while you're already in a relationship? I beg your pardon? I mean, isn't Ashton your boyfriend? He is, but he... But he doesn't pay attention to me. And that justifies cheating? No, it doesn't. But it's complicated. Isn't it always? I think it's better if we end this here, Amelia. Wait, Ethan, I... No, Amelia, you should go back to Ashton. Or maybe find someone else. Someone who actually deserves you. With that, I walked out of the restaurant, leaving her behind. And as I walked, my heart pounded with a new resolution. I would take down Ashton. Not just for me, but for Amelia as well. Ethan? Claire's voice resonated with an unforeseen gravitas as I picked up the phone. Mom, what's up? We need to talk about your position in the Sullivan Empire. You know I'm just an investor, right? Ashton is the one gearing up to take over. I'm aware, but I've been keeping tabs on you, Ethan. I see potential, resilience, qualities that this empire needs. What do you mean? Ethan, I've decided to transfer a portion of my shares in the company to you, Ashton. Ashton had his chance. It's time we explore other options. The survival of our investments, our legacy, depends on it. Dumbstruck, I scrambled to process the gravity of her words. This was a game changer. Thank you, Mom. I'll, I'll do my best. I believe in you, Ethan. Make us proud. With that, the call ended. The revelation hit me like a bolt of lightning. I wasn't merely an investor anymore. I was a substantial shareholder in the Sullivan Empire, with enough clout to challenge Ashton. The prospect was daunting, yet exhilarating. I could almost see the storm brewing, ready to sweep Ashton off his feet. He had no inkling of what was coming his way. It was time for a change, and I was at the helm of it. Man, have you heard the latest stock report? Brad, now my best friend and confidant, called me up one morning, his voice teetering between excitement and disbelief. Why, what happened? I asked, attempting to hide the amusement in my voice. By now, my carefully calculated moves were starting to yield results. Sullivan Empire shares! They're soaring, Ethan! It's like someone just pumped a whole lot of life into that sinking ship! That's interesting. You don't understand, Ethan! This is massive! Whoever is behind this, they've practically taken over the Empire! All the major decisions now, they're being made by this, this unknown entity. With a smirk, I leaned back in my chair, letting the silence linger between us. The pieces of the puzzle were finally falling into place. But isn't Ashton? Ashton had a shot, man, and he blew it. Spectacularly, I might add. But Ethan, that, that would mean you? Right in the bullseye, old friend. I'm now the new power player of the Sullivan Empire. You're, you're incredible, Ethan. You did it. You really did it. Still a long way to go, Brad. But the ship's course has been corrected. In Ashton, he's gonna get a taste of his own medicine. I'm with you all the way, Ethan. Ashton won't know what hit him. I ended the call. A newfound determination stirring within me. My past life as Mason, a cog in the wheel of the Sullivan Empire, now seemed like a distant memory. Claire and I, as substantial shareholders, had taken the reins, and with my strategic planning, the Sullivan Empire was finally seeing a resurgence. It felt good. Not just the power and wealth, but the vindication. I'd returned as a powerful CEO. The empire almost within my grasp. The once dismissive glances in the boardroom were now replaced by looks of respect. And Ashton, his unease was palpable. His position threatened. The prodigal son was finally home. And the reckoning was only just beginning. Listen, Ashton, 
I understand there's been some misunderstandings lately. Is that what you call it, Ethan? I've been hearing quite a lot about you lately. Really? I'm flattered. Sarcasm doesn't suit you, Ethan. This isn't a game. This is business. You've been disrupting the chain of command. I disagree, Ashton. I think I've been improving things. Don't you find it a little more exciting now? Exciting isn't what I'd call it. You're turning the company upside down. And for what? To prove a point? No, Ashton. I'm not here to prove a point. I'm here to make a difference. A difference you've been unable to make all these years. The line went silent for a moment, air thick with tension. Watch your tone, Ethan. This isn't some petty squabble. You're playing with fire. And you've been sitting on a powder keg. You've been comfortable for too long, Ashton. Maybe it's time someone stirred the pot. Is that a threat? No, Ashton. It's a promise. See, while you've been sitting on your ivory tower, I've been doing what's needed. And the funny thing is, your loyal staff, they seem to prefer my leadership. You're a snake, Ethan. But remember, you're playing in my territory. No, Ashton. I believe it's your relatives who are playing in my territory now. The ones who thought they could simply discard me? Funny how things turn out, isn't it? The silence that followed was almost deafening, but the satisfaction I felt was immeasurable. Ashton and his clan, they were mere puppets now, dancing to my tune. They had thrown me out, and now, I was their boss. The hunter had become the hunted. Ashton's power was waning, and mine was just starting to rise. Listen, Ashton, there's something else you should know. Really? More tricks up your sleeve? No tricks, Ashton. Just the truth. And trust me, the truth can be far more dangerous. Get to the point, Ethan. I know about the Ethan Project. What are you talking about? Oh, you know very well what I mean. The little experiment you thought you could keep hidden? Did you really think I wouldn't find out? Ashton was silent, and I could almost feel the wheels turning in his mind. You're lying. Am I? Would you like to take that chance, Ashton? Because I'm more than willing to play this game. Remember, Ashton, every action has consequences, and it seems like it's time for you to face yours. With that, I hung up, leaving Ashton with his thoughts. The truth was out. The game had changed, and now it was my turn to lead. The phone buzzed again, this time with Brad's caller ID flashing. I answered on the first ring. Brad, we need to talk. Well, good evening to you too, Ethan. Something tells me Ashton's conversation didn't go too well. You could say that. I told you, didn't I? Snake can't change his scales. Enough with your proverbs, Brad. We need to plan our next moves. Right. Sullivan Empire. I've been doing some digging. There's a board meeting in two weeks. That's our chance. Then that's when we'll strike. We're playing with fire here, Ethan, Brad warned. If this goes sideways, it won't. We have to be smart about this, Brad. Play our cards right. Brad sighed on the other end of the line. All right, I trust you. A hefty sigh spilled out of me as I settled into my plush office chair. Ashton's turned into a slippery eel. Brad, I can't seem to get the upper hand. That's the thing about eels. Slippery they might be, but they're still confined to their pawns. Ashton's pawn seems to be expanding by the minute. If we don't act now, we will. You know, I've been looking into the operations of the Sullivan Empire. A lot of deals, a lot of contracts. But there are a lot of weaknesses, too. Weaknesses? Yeah. You see, Ashton's been playing fast and loose with the company finances. There's a particular deal with a tech firm, suspiciously overvalued. Which one? Hawkeye Tech. Ashton's been shoving funds their way for a project that's still theoretical at best. And that's our chance. We expose the deal. Ashton's credibility is shot. The board will have no choice but to reconsider their loyalties. 100%. But Ethan... 
This is risky. If Ashton even sniffs that we're onto him, I know, but it's a risk we have to take. Ashton's greed is his weakness, and it's about time we exploited it. The conversation extended into the night, with Brad and me brainstorming strategies and countermeasures, hypothetical situations and potential challenges. As the minutes rolled into hours, a concrete plan started to take shape. A risky plan, yes, but a plan nonetheless. I'd always known that this battle would be uphill, but tonight, it seemed like I'd found my footing. For the first time since my return, I felt in control. I leaned back in my chair, my mind whirling with the upcoming events. One thing was clear. Ashton had messed with the wrong man. And now, it was time to show him what it meant to cross paths with me. As the city skyline basked in the glow of the moon, I couldn't help but smile. The board meeting was going to be a game changer, and Ashton wouldn't know what hit him. The night was heavy with anticipation, the impending clash echoing in the silence. But as I closed my eyes, a single thought overwhelmed the rest. Ashton Sullivan, your downfall is coming. Hey, my name is Tom, and I've always struggled with my weight. I've been overweight for as long as I can remember. Tired of feeling down about myself, I decided to join a gym to improve my health and fitness. As I walked in, I was immediately intimidated by all the fit and muscular people working out around me. But I was determined to make a change. The gym coach, Jake, was the epitome of the popular guy. Athletic, cocky, and always surrounded by his equally fit friends. To make matters worse, he had a stunning athletic girlfriend named Amy. I couldn't help but feel embarrassed by my body and lack of fitness compared to everyone else, especially Amy. As I started working out, I found it really difficult to keep up with the routines, and Jake's continuous mockery only made me feel worse. One day, as I struggled to finish a set of push-ups, Jake sauntered over with a smirk on his face. Hey, Tom, you know it's uh, not a competition to see who can do the fewest push-ups in a minute, he sneered, clearly enjoying my discomfort. Trying to brush off his comments, I replied, Well, at least I'm trying, Jake. Rome wasn't built in a day, you know? Jake laughed, unimpressed by my comeback. True, but at this rate, you'll be ripped and ready for the cover of Nerdy Fitness Weekly in a lifetime. During a group workout session, Jake decided to pair people up for partner exercises. To my dismay, he paired me with his girlfriend, Amy. As we started the routine, I could feel Jake's eyes on us ready to pounce on any opportunity to humiliate me. When we moved on to partner squats, Jake couldn't resist by making another dig. Wow, Tom, you're really struggling there. Maybe you should just try squatting with a book instead of Amy. You know, something more your speed. Despite the embarrassment, I refused to let Jake's taunts get the better of me. Very funny, Jake. I'm just getting warmed up. As the days went by, the humiliation only intensified. During a cardio session, Jake sneered. Maybe you should lose some weight first before attempting this, Tom. Don't pass out this time like you did last week. I gritted my teeth and responded. Thanks for the concern, but I've got this, Jake. In another instance, while I was struggling to use the weight machines, Jake mockingly suggested. Hey, Tom, don't break the equipment with all that weight you're carrying. We wouldn't want to have to replace it. I rolled my eyes and retorted. Don't worry, Jake. I think your ego is a greater threat to this place than I am. One day, as I stumbled during a workout, Jake jeered. Did you just roll off the couch, Tom? You really shouldn't be here among us athletes. This gym is no place for druggies and dropouts. Frustrated by his relentless bullying, I snapped back. You know what, Jake? I may not be as fit as you, but at least I'm working on it. Could you say the same about your personality? 
Little did I know that my life was about to take a surprising turn, and Jake's attempt to mock me would backfire in a way he never expected. Despite Jake's continuous mockery, I started noticing that Amy didn't share her boyfriend's mean-spirited attitude. In fact, she was nothing like the popular stereotype I had expected her to be. She was kind, supportive, and even encouraging as we worked out together. Come on, Tom. You can do it. Just a few more reps, she'd say during our training sessions, her voice full of genuine encouragement. Under Amy's guidance and support, I began to make significant progress at the gym. My strength and endurance improved, and I started to excel in the exercises. Jake, however, only seemed to intensify his humiliating tactics. One day, as I struggled to lift a particularly heavy weight, Jake called out, Careful, Tom. Don't want you to get a hernia or something. The whole gym laughed as my face turned red with embarrassment. As Amy and I grew closer, Jake's jealousy and possessiveness started to show. He would hover around us during workouts, making snide remarks and trying to belittle me at every opportunity. He even went as far as accusing me of trying to steal his girlfriend. Things came to a head when Jake claimed to have caught Amy and me kissing on his 4K camera. He stormed into the gym one day, waving his phone around like a trophy, and confronted us in front of everybody. You two have been sneaking around behind my back, huh? Well, guess what? I've got proof. Amy, clearly fed up with Jake's behavior, took a deep breath and looked him in the eye. Jake, it's over between us. I can't be with someone who treats people the way you do. You're constantly putting Tom down. But he's shown me that there's more to life than just being fit and popular. The gym fell silent, everyone staring at the unfolding drama. I stepped forward, taking Amy's hand in mine. Jake, you've got to learn that it's not about how you look or what you can do physically. It's about how you treat people and what kind of person you are inside. Jake stood there, stunned, as Amy and I walked out of the gym together, hand in hand. In the days that followed, word spread about what had happened. People started to look up to me, not only because of my newfound confidence and gym prowess, but also because I had shown them that being a good person matters more than popularity. In the following weeks, Amy and I continued to grow closer, our bonds stronger than ever, but Jake couldn't accept that things were over between him and Amy. He resorted to stalking us, making our lives miserable with his unwelcome presence. One evening, as Amy and I sat down for a romantic dinner at a local restaurant, Jake sauntered in uninvited. He pointed at me, sneering, Hey, Tom, couldn't you at least put on a decent shirt? You look like a homeless guy. Are you sure you can afford this place? During one of our weekend outings to the park, Jake appeared out of nowhere, a smug grin plastered on his face. He looked at my worn-out sneakers and said loudly, What's the matter, Tom? Did you have to fish those out of a dumpster? How pathetic! As Amy and I walked through the mall, Jake followed us from store to store, making snide remarks about my inability to afford the latest trends. Oh, look at Tom, browsing the sales rack like he's hunting for treasure. Gotta pinch those pennies, huh? At a local coffee shop where Amy and I were enjoying a quiet afternoon, Jake burst in and started ridiculing me in front of everyone. Hey, Tom, I bet you're only here because they have free Wi-Fi. Can't afford internet at home, can you? That's just sad. One day, as Amy and I were headed to the movies, Jake intercepted us, feigning concern. Are you sure you want to go in there, Tom? Last I heard, they don't accept food stamps for movie tickets. Despite Jake's constant harassment, I remained patient, determined not to let him ruin my newfound happiness. One day, I decided it was time to reveal a secret I had kept hidden. I was actually a millionaire. My wealth had accumulated through smart investments and a successful business, but the stress of all of it led me to gain weight. Now, this should be interesting. 
I mused as I shared the news with Amy, who was ecstatic. Together, we decided it was time to use my wealth for a greater purpose and see how Jake would react. When Jake caught wind of the news, he was stunned. He approached me hesitantly, his voice dripping with disbelief. Is it true, Tom? Are you really rich? I grinned, my eyes twinkling with amusement. Yes, Jake, it's true. But my wealth doesn't define who I am. I've learned that true happiness comes from the relationships we build and the person we become. I announced that I would be starting a charity to combat bullying and create a safe space for those affected by it. As part of the initiative, I would be purchasing the gym where we all worked out and appointing Amy as the top trainer. Surprise, Jake! You never really know who you're mocking, do you? I teased, reveling in his shock. But don't worry, I have a proposition for you too. I extended an invitation to Jake, offering him a chance to participate in the charity and help out at the gym. But there was a catch. His role at the gym would be that of a janitor. It was an opportunity for him to learn humility and the value of hard work. As I reveled in the idea of Jake's newfound humility, another unexpected revelation came to light. It turned out that Jake had been hiding a secret of his own. He was the heir to a massive fortune, but he had been concealing it in order to live a normal life, away from the pressures of wealth and expectation. When his secret was revealed, the dynamic between Jake, Amy, and me shifted dramatically. No longer driven by jealousy and insecurity, Jake embraced his role as a janitor at the gym and became an active participant in the charity. It seemed that by revealing my own wealth, I had inadvertently allowed Jake to come to terms with his. We confronted Jake about his hidden fortune, and he was surprisingly candid about it. Yeah, it's true. I've been hiding my wealth to live a life where I'm not constantly judged by my bank account. But seeing you, Tom, being open about your riches and using them for good, it's made me realize that I can do the same. The gym community, witnessing our transformations, rallied around us. We all worked together to create a better, more inclusive environment, with Amy leading the way as head trainer. As we focused on combating bullying and promoting kindness and respect, we discovered that true success and happiness don't come from wealth or popularity, but again, from the relationships we build and the people we become. In the weeks that followed, the bonds between us all grew stronger. Jake, now humbled and dedicated to making a difference, became an essential part of our charitable endeavors, and I continued to use my resources for the greater good. It was a testament to the power of redemption and the importance of the relationships we form in our lives. Just when it seemed like everything was finally falling into place, another twist emerged. A mysterious benefactor had been supporting the gym all along. This anonymous individual had been responsible for keeping the gym afloat during tough times and was now ready to reveal their identity. To our astonishment, the mysterious benefactor was none other than Jake's long-lost father, who had been monitoring his son's actions from afar. I wanted to see if you could change, Jake, his father explained. I'm proud to see that you have. As Jake stood in belief, Amy chimed in. Looks like life has a way of teaching us all a lesson or two. Huh, Jake. With newfound humility and a chance at redemption, Jake embraced his role at the gym and in the charity, proving that we all have the power to change for the better. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.